Hi everyone, just a note before we start. This episode includes discussion around some sensitive material and topics such as physical and mental abuse and sexual assault. It costs more to do the right thing. So if people start to choose to put their pounds in a different place because of the reputational risk, then it evens it out. Start with values. Values and purpose, uh, rather than start with cost. If you start with values and purpose, the rest starts to take care of itself. Welcome back to Floodlight, a podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective. We look to raise awareness of modern slavery by sharing stories and speaking to interesting people that are looking to combat it in their own way. I'm Jules. And I'm Eugenie. And for the last nine years, we have been passionate about fighting against slavery in all its forms, wherever it is found throughout the world. Slavery is still very much a modern problem. There are currently more people in slavery than at any other time in history, and those most likely to be affected by it are women and children. On this week's episode, we're joined by Nick Baton. Nick is the former CEO of ASOS, one of the world's largest fashion retailers. In the 13 years he worked at the company, he oversaw a significant change in their corporate social responsibility and commitment to abolishing modern slavery from their supply chains. Nick talked to us about his light bulb moment, the many changes he made at ASOS, and how we can all shop more responsibly. We caught up with Nick late last year, just before he left the company, but as someone at the forefront of the field, his experiences and lessons remain just as valuable. Let's hear more from the man himself. The last time we saw you was probably pre-pandemic yeah. or the beginning of it. Yeah, it What's happened? A uh, brutal year, actually. A brutal year for people. A brutal year for uh, the people we work with. Um, really hard. Uh, really hard for suppliers and people around the world. Uh, no end in sight um, uh, for and many false dawns. And actually, I think the mental health and the mental wellness of people will be a bruise that we won't yet understand for quite a while. Economically, it's been dreadful. Certain territories um, in the uh, around the world have had their economies almost shut down. Uh, we're living with um, with a, a hinterland at the moment where we we feel like we want to do the things we can. We can't quite yet do them. I worry the economic consequences haven't yet played out, so um, we won't yet know what happens globally on all of those things. At the moment, things are a bit messed up, like supply chains, flow of products, flow of goods, travel, holidays. So I think we're in it for another 12 months or so. Nick, so can you tell us about the light bulb moment in for you and why modern slavery is so important for you and ASOS? Sure. It was it was about 2014 and I had just been made chief exec and I was doing a buying review and um, I and the buyer, a name a lady called Amy, went, Nick, I can give you this swimsuit and it'll be about 75% gross margin. I can give you this swimsuit about 55% gross margin. That one's made in that factory where I don't think people are looked after. That one there, I can um, I can vouch for it. And I looked at her and I kind of went, what a stupid question. And then she said, well, which one do you want me to buy, Nick? And then I went, actually, it's not a stupid question at all. So I sat for a minute and I went, Amy, we've got to do the right thing. 
we can't have a swimsuit that's made in a factory where people are not paid the right wages, not looked after, and you don't know where they've all, um, where they've all been, all, all, um, all come from. So I went, you have to do the right, the right thing. And the more I thought about what Amy said to me, I then went, I wonder how many other people in our business have that conflict and I wonder how many of our people are going chase the margin not the values so uh, it took me a few months to really process it and then um, the we saw a video that one um, that was doing on YouTube called the true cost of fashion and the true cost of fashion talked about how leather was produced, how cotton was produced, how people weren't looked after in the supply chain. And I sat there and the team showed it me and I kind of went, what are we going to be famous for? Are we going to be famous for selling more dresses, more clothes than anyone else? Or are we going to be famous for propagating this sort of behavior? I went, we don't want that. So we can do this differently. So we did an all-hands briefing. We did it at the Odeon. It was the annual um, six-monthly strategy day. We did it at the Odeon. I was still in the Odeon. I showed clips from the video and I went, that's not going to be us, guys. This is going to be us. So we do not want any of that. And I told the story of Amy. I told the story of the true cost of fashion video we'd seen. And I went, we'll do it better. And that was around 2014. And then we uh, then went, how do we bring this back to life? So that's where we went to the very old principle that we hadn't really looked after. It was called fashion with integrity. So it was like, we talked about that when we founded the business, but we'd forgotten about it, like many things. So we'd have to recreate it, we just had to uncover it again. So it's like, right, fashion with integrity, guys. We talked about this when we founded the business. This is really important. We're going to do this better. This is what it means. It means people. It means products. It means packaging. It means the, the planet. And these are non-negotiable. So we went through all of those. Then the modern slavery statement came out um, and it was around 2015, I think. We'd just gone through this moment where we started to reevaluate how we were going to do it. And I'm like, I don't want to be a CEO who in 10 years time gets asked the question, when you're in a position of influence, what did you do? I couldn't wear that. And my daughter started asking me questions like, dad, what do you think about this? And I think you've told me that before, that yeah. she read a newspaper. Is yeah. that right? That's yeah, right. what newspaper was that? So the news, she, uh, she read a junior newspaper. Um, it was called the Junior Times or something. And um, yes, I did tell you. I can't remember the name of it now. First News. And within that, she was referring to plastic. plastic. She said, Dad, do you know there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish within the next 20 years? What are you going to do with that? Now... Um, and what can you do to help? And you kind of can't hide when your daughter asks you that, yeah. when she's 13. And I kind of went, let me have a look, read it. Oh, I'm not sure, actually, love. Uh, let me think about it. So I went away and thought about that too. And from that, I went, we're going to have all recycled plastic in our bags. Go get it. I don't know how to do it, guys. Go, go do it. Today, we've got 85% of our plastic is recycled, so we're not quite there. And, and with the modern slavery um, piece... We, I sat and thought about it. I went to visit a load of factories and I'm like, that's not, that's not who I want to be. 
And then so went, right, we're going to do this well. And at the same sort of time, and it all collided in this first 12 months when I was trying to figure out what kind of business we were going to be, figure out what kind of CEO I was going to be, figure out how I was going to do some values. We met a lady, uh, I met a lady called Michaela de Prince. And she's, she, was, she was about five foot three. Um, she was at a conference where there was 15 CEOs in the room. She had to tell her story. She was following Nicholas Sarkozy, Martina Navratilova, Queen Rainier of Jordan. And she stood there and she was nervous. And I wanted her to uh, be good. I started to feel nervous for her because her hand was shaking. And she told her story. As a 13-year-old daughter, a girl, she had a family, her mother and her father killed and mother raped in front of her and a village burnt down in Sierra Leone, West Africa. She was then taken to a children's home. It wasn't a children's home, it's actually a compound. And she, um, she lived with 27 other girls. Um, and she was given a number. Her number was 27. Um, and because she had vitiligo, which is a vitamin deficiency, and so it's the white patches on her black skin. And they, so they dehumanized them even more. And the number was actually important because it was how they allocated food and drink and clothing. So if, if they had 27 um, rations of food, you were fine. But if they ran out at 10, Anyone between 11 and 27 didn't get it. So I listened to this lady speak, and she was 23 at this time, and I was crying. And um, then she she got uh, um, taken by a foster family. She was taken to America. She then brought back to Holland. And But while she was in this compound, she reached through, and she got um, a magazine that blew past. That magazine had a picture of a ballerina on it. Healthy young woman in a ballerina outfit, and she said to herself, that's everything I want to be, that girl. And so when the foster family adopted her, she went, they said, what would you like to be? She went, I want to be just like this girl. And she'd kept it. She'd put it in her underwear in this compound, right? So several years later, she turned up to be a ballerina at the first um, place. The ballet school said, look, not very funny, but we're a little short on funding and black girls don't normally make great ballerinas. So don't do it. Can you try something else? All right. So she'd been freed from this racism and all of that stuff and that abuse and slavery she was in for a period of time. And she was taken to become a ballerina. And that's what they said to her. Today, she's the principal ballerina of the Royal Dutch no. Ballet. I've been to see her in London. She's a delightful girl. She's 25 now. She's a patron of War Child. Wow. And she, I met her and I went up to her at the end. And the story, come, um, and the story she tells is, I've been through bad stuff. And I've been through more bad stuff than other people. But I'm okay with it. But my story to you is never missed moments in life that might change your life. Now, this is where it then hit me on like a bolt out of the blue. I walked up to her at the end. Now, she's five foot three, I'm six foot two. And I've been crying. And so so I probably looked a sight. And I went, that's an amazing story. I don't know how you did that. And then she starts to say something. And then she finished. And I'd got no more questions to ask. So I was just staring at her. And I went, uh, great dress. You look great. So if in doubt, just compliment the other person. You look great. She said to me, this dress is from ASOS. 
and it gives me the confidence to be whoever I want to be. Oh, wow. What a story. I went, that's what we do. I know the created the dress, bought the dress, packed the dress, issued the dress, did the, delivered the dress. And I sat there and I went, that's what we do. So the Fashion with Integrity program started with the purpose is to give people the confidence to be who they want to be. That's why we, that's the emotional benefit we give with our clothing. If people aren't looked after in the way, that is not going to give people the confidence to wear that garment. So that's how we put it all together. And all that happened in a period of time where I then went, this is why we have to do it this way. This is why it has to be different. This is why it has to be better. This is why I don't want to be the person who can't answer the question when somebody said, what did you do? Yeah. Wow. I'm kind of in shock. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you for sharing. And, and what was the knock-on effect after that moment? How did you then galvanise your team to prioritise things like this? So we started with the target on people. And, and I went, on people, went, wherever our brand falls, the people who make those garments um, have to have the right working conditions, have to pay the right wages, have to be free from any bond, have to have freedom of association, and that is, we have to treat these factories as if they were glass walls and customers could see in. Right, that was it. Go and design me a scheme and a process to do that. So that was the first thing. We have found some challenges along the way. So one of your questions is, what do we do when you have remediation? What does remediation mean? I'll tell you now, the, or when you find a problem. All right. In Turkey, several years ago, we found um, some Syrian refugees working in a Turkish factory. You went yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I wanted to see it. I wanted to meet the uh, the children. They were, they ranged from 16 to 11. And And you were told that in your factory... There were underage Correct. underage people working Correct. for your children. Simon, who you've met before, yeah. um, he's my, who he's my um, Jason Bourne. Yeah. He found um, found this factory with uh, lo- with um, the local representatives. There weren't three children; there were eight, and they were living in slavery. They were they they were living in a room with ten people, and there were two families, and it was a room half the size of this, and there was. Um, Two mothers in there looking after babies as well. It was just ridiculous, awful. And so when you see it, you go, this has got to stop. We have to do something. So this was really tricky because my emotions were uh, appalled. And, you know, you kind of want to scream and shout and, and do something. But the, it, was, um, it, was, it was a tricky one to handle because my first reaction was going, right, we're cutting that factory. We're never giving them any more orders. But there were eight people out of about 70. So then there's another 60-odd families who would be in jeopardy if I pulled 25% of, my, of their orders. So it was so that was my first reaction. So that was where we developed a process where it was like, you do not cut and run. You do a remediation program where it's, you've got to fix it, you've got to get better. Because if you don't, you then damage the incomes of the other people and other families. And you also don't leave a problem undone because somebody else might step in and then... Yeah, if you don't, then another company might come in and the factory will still operate in the same way. And did you then have to go and like 
talk to the factory manager. Yeah. That's as simple yeah. as that. You literally walk downstairs and you were like, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah. Okay. And um, the the it took it took some soap time where we had our Turkish representative to sit down and explain where we go, what we do. And there's a moment where you have to look someone in the eye and go, will this guy actually play ball? If he does, we'll give him a chance. If he doesn't... So that was a yellow card process. So it was don't cut and run, remediation plan, give them a chance to recover, don't walk away from a problem. And you guys have a significant amount of purchasing power as well. So Correct. I imagine these, these people listen. They should listen. So then it was the phrase we coined was, let's use the purchase order for the power for good mm. rather than for bad. Yeah, because as soon as you reframe it that way and go, this purchase order could really shape a behavior. It could actually really improve the lives of people in this factory or it might not. What do you want to do with that purchase order? So we talked about it that way. So we then set up a process to deal with that. So that was the remediation of, um, of what we found in Turkey. That was probably about four years ago. I really just want to know, just quickly, do you buy stuff on ASOS? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. But you're not a 20-something. No, I know. I, I, what are you saying? No. <laughs> you look like a 20-something. Thank you. The, uh, it's, we all do. Yeah. Um, thanks so much. I actually did buy some cool stuff from ASOS. I know. I've seen I've seen it reported. That's sweet. Yeah. I get, I get, someone sends me a little, 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 um, little clipping every time you want something, so it's good. Is that a shirt so from ASOS? No, this... You can't say. You probably can't say. <laughs> uh, don't take no, it too hard. No, it's not. It's it's a UK manufacturer though, Sunspell. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't know it. Oh, I know Sunspell. I love Sunspell. Yeah. English made in Nottingham. Oh, amazing. Yeah, really good. So it's a good thing to do. Out of interest, so, and I'm really tangenting here, but someone like Sunspell, do you do you then sort of talk to their CEO and say, hey, you should do the modern slavery thing too? Or is uh, it not really yes, worth it? Yes, I do. That? Okay, good. Yeah, but not not with Sunspell, but I do with others. So we've done several um, several um, events with Lola. So, yeah, Lola so Young. I, I, I love Lola. Yeah. She's, the, the world needs more people like Lola. And so we've done several events at the, at the House of Lords where Lola um, hosts them. I talk about um, what we're doing and how. I share how we've gone about it. I share best practice. Some of my team go, these are the problems we've had to deal with. And then we ask people, I invite people, and we normally get about 30 or 40 brands a session. And then we're like, would you pledge to do better? And then we've done several workshops going, this is how you attack modern slavery in your supply chain. These are the things to look out for. This is how you go about it. And do, do, others, do other brands, like, how do you follow up with them and make sure they're doing it? Do a it? pledge and then uh, ask them to um, to um, give me, they have to have five principles to work with me. Yeah. Modern slavery statement, transparency statement, chemical policy, ethical trading policy, one more. Uh, and That is amazing. And if they don't, they're off the site. Yeah, because you're talking. Because you're, how many suppliers do you have? Sorry, uh, nine hundred. So those nine hundred have to have all those to yeah. be on your website. So there's two. The, so Simon. Simon. Simon's the Jason. Simon's Bourne. got a big job. Yeah. Simon's got a big job and some <laughs> lovely uh, people working for him. So it starts off with make our own garments better, and then use our platform to raise the bar. Right. And so these are the standards we expect. Every year we'll get better. 
And the other part of doing this is transparency. So your action through transparency and transparency and visibility you can see. So that means mapping all your productions all the way down to tier five, which is farms and things like that. So we've mapped tier four, we're doing tier five and we help everyone do the same thing. So when you can see it, you know it and you know where it is, you can check it. Okay. And then the other thing that I, something that's come up and I won't mention the name, but you have got rid of some um, suppliers from yeah. your or brands um, quite regularly, right? So the so one of Simon's jobs is if he sees something he doesn't like, uh, he reports it to the authorities um, and go, "This doesn't work. Sort this one out." If it's unrelated to us, if it's related to us and we've got the influence, we remove them from the, from their site. Um, well, I'll give them a remediation process where it's. You've got to do this, this, this and this, or it's done. For our listeners, which brands would you encourage people to buy, given that you're right at the epicentre of what's going on? So one of the things I don't try to do is tell people what they should buy. Mm. Uh, But uh, but what I would do is ask them to just go share um, share your hard-earned money and income with a brand that speaks to your values. And if the brands don't speak to your values, have a good think about it. Yeah, because um, I will actually think the Gen Z consumer, which is around about 20, are, uh, are the next wave that will drive this change as they get more political and more uh, economic power. They will shape the way the world works. They have to and will. And it will be, they'll demand brands to do this. They'll demand people to do the following things. They'll demand people to have a carbon neutral policy. They'll demand visibility on modern slavery. And that will start to feed through. That's quite inspiring, isn't it? There should <laughs> Very. be. Also, ge- these, are, these are the teenage, teenage. Yeah. right now. Values they, matter. Values matter to those guys. They, and, they're, it's actually incredible when, you, when you're with Gen Z's, you know, talking to them about what they expect and what they view the world. And, it's yeah. so powerful, isn't it, for yeah. the direction of new brands because suddenly capitalism takes a, take a step aside and it's, it's values that are at the centre of a lot of this. They're born digital natives. They understand the power of their voice. They know how to do it uh, and they have channels to do it in a way that we wouldn't have done. Yeah, so And that's what we often say, isn't it, used to people who ask, you know, what can we do to help? Use your voice, use your vote. If you're uncomfortable with the values of that brand, don't shop there. But at the end of the day, isn't it more economical for um, companies to not have slavery in there in anywhere in their supply chains, or is it? No, it's not really. It costs more to do the right thing. But I guess the reputational risk is what's on the other side. So that's the balance, right. correct? So if people start to choose to put their pounds in a different place because of the reputational risk then it evens it out. But actually, I would go, start with values, right? Values and purpose, uh, rather than start with cost. If you start with values and purpose, the rest starts to take care of itself. And go, I'm not going to sell something less than £5 because I can't make it for that, so I won't. So if you'd set that, uh, that limit, it's fine. Um, but if you get in them, so those are the right ways to do it. Start with value, start with purpose, engineer it correctly, set a price point with where you can't go any lower. And many businesses do do that. 
So Nick, what would be your parting advice to our wonderful listeners around what they should look out for, what they should think about in terms of shopping ethically? And us. And us, yeah. I want to know too. (laughs) I'm taking notes. Look at a care label. You can see the fabrics. Yeah. If some, oh, at the bottom of the yeah. dress. Oh, right. You can see the fabrics um, and you'll see them start to refer to um, organic cotton, Britain, um, better cotton initiative, things like that. Look on the website. The, the company will start to, the companies and brands will start to be publishing all of those. Don't look, look through the literature and try and triangulate it yourself, right? Because in a click of a, a few thumb swipes, you can test whether what you've read is, is real. Um, and then have fun experimenting with fashion. Fashion's supposed to be fun. Mm. Yeah, find the brands you love and have fun with it. Yeah, find the brands that speak to your values and have fun with it. That's what it's supposed to be there for. Um, Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you are sort of a wonderful mentor for Jules and I in a way because you've, you've managed to lead us from the beginning really with, with your incredible leadership in this field. So thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Floodlight and a very big thank you to Nick for joining us. Make sure you join us next week where we'll be chatting to Kevin Bales, the Professor of Contemporary Slavery at the University of Nottingham. He is one of the definitive voices in the fight against modern slavery. You can also be an activist and join us in the fight against modern slavery by visiting our website, theantislaverycollective.org. And if you want to learn more about what we've discussed on today's episode, head to the show notes and follow the links. Our mission is to raise awareness about modern slavery, so please help us by sharing and posting about the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to Floodlight and please also take the time to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you about the show, your own activism and who you want us to speak to in the future. See you next week. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.